I'm Alana. And I'm Jessie. And we are making menches. Welcome to part two of our first little book club where we're talking about a land with a people. I'm displaying it. Woo! Palestinians and Jews confront Zionism. We had part one last week, so if you're wondering why we're only talking about the second half of the book, you should go listen to the other episode. It's a little long. Bear with us. We talk about why we wanted to read it, how we broke it up, and sort of acknowledge some criticisms of JVP, because it's very centered around JVP and JVP put together the stories. We talk about all of that in the first podcast. So if you want to understand some more of that, listen to the first 10 minutes of last week's podcast, and then come back and press play here. So yeah. Today we're just going to talk about the second half of the book, which is wrestling with identity, questioning power, and repairing and healing. I was thinking we could just start with some overarching themes of the section and then get into the specifics. So I can start yeah, off with a few that. themes if you want. Yeah, do it. The wrestling with identity section, I think, actually felt the most polarized to me in terms of experience so we're seeing lots of themes of belonging and trying to confront nationalism zionism eternal community dynamics but also the way that communities are perceived from the outside and i think this one just felt to, to me generally the whole section very divided into one very similar narrative for a lot of recovering Zionists, as we call, you know, <laughs> Jewish anti-Zionists who were once Zionists, but then very distinct and very different from like the identity that is determined for Palestinian people or the identity Palestinians hold within other societies. And I, I, I get thematically that they are connected, but to me just felt jarring, like story to story to be like, oh, wait, we're kind of talking about someone's guilt in one story about Zionism. And the other one is like, someone's human rights are not recognized in another country in the next story. So it is about identity, but I think like more loosely connected, even though it is on the same topic, generally for me, this section. Yeah, I felt the same way. And I think you articulated that perfectly because yeah I was just struggling with that I felt like it was weird to go back and forth and just be like reading someone's sort of guilt and very like real and important story on their journey but then paired with currently oppressed person and their familial experience of generational trauma and oppression that is ongoing it just felt a little weird I I agree it was maybe could have been done differently Absolutely. I have a thought, too, on Keenan Jaffe's story, too. So do you want to start off with some of your uh, observations? Yeah, perfect. Uh, yeah, I tried to keep mine short, too. We went a little long last time. Starting with first story in that section, evolving through and out of Zionism. First of all, it just made me think about our talk with Sohar, because Keenan talks about growing up in a labor Zionist camp and movement and sort of through that movement being able to develop a critical lens that sort of eventually led them to to move away from Zionism in a very similar way that 
Zohar talks about so eloquently and thoroughly on our episode with the Zohar Git list. So just wanted to plug that because y'all should read that if you were interested at all by the labor Zionism journey story. There was a qu- <laughs> there was a quote that I really like and then a weird quote on the same page though of that story. It's the last page of the story on 111 where they mm-hmm. say, I'm not proud of how long it took me to reach my current convictions and it devastates me to know that justice in Israel-Palestine will be achieved only over the objections of so many Jews whose minds will change too slowly or not at all. There is no excuse for the century of colonialism and bloodshed that Zionists have enacted to further their goals. And I was like, damn, like that's powerful. That is really good. It really stood out to me and felt really relevant. But then at the end, Keenan says... I want to offer Jews and Israelis hope that their Zionist question mark desire for safety and cultural permanence in the land of Israel can still be met precisely if they give up the oppression and exclusive control on which they currently rely. I was like, while I understand what I think this person is trying to say, which is just that like Jews lived in Palestine pre Zionism and Palestinian Jews exist and non-Ashkenazic white Jews exist. Great. But the way it was phrased was sort of weird. It was giving kind of two-state solution vibes. Yeah, it just felt off because the rest of the piece I thought was compelling and and really great. And then it ended on the note that I was just sort of like, what? Did I miss something? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. I was going to point out the, the point about Zionism and this thing that people talk about with modernity as well, that Zionism was viewed of this eventuality that it was going to succeed and it was just progress. That's what Zionism was and it was the inevitable end and how that has really been shattered for them. I was like, oh, yeah. Like, I didn't even think about that side of it. That they thought Zionism won out against other ideas. But then same thing, you know, saying I do not call myself an anti-Zionist. Although I personally want nothing to do with Zionism any longer. I was like, it's not a personal, I mean, it is personal in some ways, but it's also, it's not like saying I don't like chocolate or dogs. It's like, no, this is like a system of oppression. (laughs) You can't just be like, no, thanks, but anyone else can enjoy it. So I, yeah, I know anti-Zionism is a label we've talked about before. People feel uncomfortable with, but I agree. It felt kind of like, yeah, fuck Zionism, but also like, it's, it's fine. And it was you know? so stark coming from literally the last page of the last section, which we talked about, where they're talking about how simply rejecting Zionism or being non-Zionist is not enough. You have to, anti-Zionism is the more, if they say, assertive and resolute term. And then literally pages later, yeah, I also yeah. underlined that. I was like, hmm, I do not call myself an anti-Zionist, which again, it sort of feels like, it feels like this is a story from someone who is still moving through their journey you know I was like you know what I would have said some stuff like that probably a few years ago and I have to have grace for that and it is really interesting to see side by side people at different places in their journey as well yeah absolutely but yeah again back to your point about thematically then to have that next to a story about a Palestinian American person and their familial trauma just felt kind of weird (laughs) In regards to that piece, though, the From Brooklyn to Palestine and Back, that one and the piece by Iman Rashid, the I Am the Other, Mm -hmm. I highlighted a few things in both of those. 
thematically though just the idea that both of them made so clear how carceral Palestinian oppression is and how carceral Israeli force is that is what I mean but the carceral carceral nature of how they experience it and how similar it is to the United States and the ways that Black Americans but most non-white Americans experience carcerality and carceral force at first I'm like oh that's so so interesting that there's so much overlap and then it's like okay this is literally by design because the U.S. and Israel policing tactics and training and weapons and so of course they feel and sound really similar in the techniques that they might be using because we're literally sharing techniques and it was just again one of those things where it's like you can't be against our system here and not see the parallels and not also be against Israeli oppression because it's like so intrinsic. Yeah, that's that's a really good point and makes me think even about the titling of this section. Maybe wrestling with identity is a very white American Jewish or white Israeli centered title because mm-hmm. we have the privilege to wrestle with what are we? How do we identify? Whereas for Palestinians and Palestinian Americans and Black Americans and Black people in Israel or Black Israelis or North African Jews living in Israel. It is an identity that is thrust upon you and it is weaponized against you and it is like you are deemed like the other or a problem or a terrorist or all of these identities assigned to you rather. So is it really wrestling with or is it is it a resistance against or is it, I don't know wrestling seems to imply equal power of like oh we're just wrestling rather than rising up against the the inherent racism of the identity thrust upon marginalized people but I get that wrestling with Zionism and wrestling with our Zionist identity as white American Jews fits that title yeah just sectionally logistically <laughs> yeah yeah maybe could have been different but yeah. I thought that the the end of unlearning Zionism on the mm-hmm. other hand of this by Talia Bauer. Mm-hmm. Bar- Bauer? Yeah. Uh, I like really liked her because I think that that's a process that we go through a lot. What is our yeah. voice in this conversation? Where does it belong? What is our obligation? What does that look like? And she just says it really succinctly um she says as a white jew in the united states i must enter into this struggle following the leadership of palestinian people who face the horrors of occupation oppression and apartheid every day in palestine and israel i have a place in this fight because my voice is proof that anti-zionism is not anti-semitism because i know from my own education that zionism is racist because my u.s taxes support the israeli military because my history has been appropriated as a tactic to oppress others in my name. And I just thought that that was a really concise and important framing of being like, these are the reasons why we do have to be involved in this conversation. And this is why this book as a whole has value and necessity because all of the things that she said, said it better than I could have possibly said it. Yeah, absolutely. And I enjoy about this paragraph, too, that it's like a desire to change the community, to go back into the community. It's not like, and so I walked away. And so I said, and I'm done. I hate this. I can't do this. 
it was really a commitment to not solidarity and also the hard work in the community, which is something we talk about all the time too, is balancing that. So I think, yeah, I agree. It was a really powerful ending. I also just highlighted Amira Horia. Horia? I'm so worried that I'm just butchering everyone's name. Um, Same. I love their story. I just thought that all of the ties that were made between like the South and specifically having the South being centered as a revolutionary Mm -hmm. center Mm -hmm. instead of they talk about the ways that we think about the South in the North or in the U.S. as a whole as being like racist and backwards and all of that stuff but so much revolutionary power and history came out of the South that we just like sort of ignore Mm -hmm. Uh, I just really really loved everything about this piece and how everything was tied together and also just their conversations around queerness and they also just mention liberation theology which I know a teeny bit about through some people who I know at Union Theological Seminary and like love that lens in general I thought the connections were really interesting like when they talk about Hebron being like the Palestinian equivalent of the U.S. South I thought that section was fascinating and a connection I obviously would never be able to make or know so it was cool to learn more about it in that way so yeah just wanted to highlight that piece because I really loved it absolutely same I I'm so grateful for pieces like this that talk about like the the revolutionary labor centered and and not white very much not like land owning or whatever the legacy is of the south that I think of yeah so it was incredible and then the final part of the section that I, in the last story, the from a Zionist son to a JPP activist, mm-hmm. uh, just when David talks about Hadassah, I feel like mm-hmm. it like pulled, they mentioned Hadassah a few times in the book, and I feel like I haven't thought about Hadassah in so long, and I had to like rewire connections in my brain yeah. because my bubby was super involved in Hadassah. Oh, um, wow and leader of her chapter and whatever and I didn't even I knew that they were very Zionist leaning but I didn't realize that it was literally the women's Zionist organization and just thinking about the ways that she really wanted to bring my mom and me into the fold of Hadassah and like I wasn't really interested but just really having to go back through those generational legacies and be like oh this is something that was like really hugely important to her and she passed before I ever became I before I ever ended up where I am on my anti-Zionist journey and I'm I'm just very curious what sort of conversations we would have had around that and also same thing with that story it ends on sort of a note that I was like sort of a weird note to end a story in this section about yeah I mean I think this is a great like example that we keep talking about kind of low-key that JVP is an umbrella for so many different Mm -hmm. philosophies around Zionism and I know that it's pretty bold a lot of things JVP will put out as their official position but it's it's always good to remember that the jvp organization is not a monolith and the opinions that are expressed Mm. are sometimes wildly different from one another so yeah i i think going back to kind of the whiplash thing between stories yeah it, it was definitely i agree a weird ending i was going to say 
something about the we are Palestinians after all, but just I think just for me and in like my Americanness and the safety that I've had as like a white cis het woman living in largely protected communities all the time was just really jarring the depictions of a lot of things. And I think it once again, just the, the framing of identity of I live in a small Palestine inside a smaller Syria in a big worldwide America was really kind of captured the layers and the complexity of identity in a way that some of the other stories, you know, uh, from recovering Zionist positions, I was like, yeah, there's just a, a level of complexity we can't really understand having not been refugees and having not been uprooted and, and all of that. So I just wanted to give space for that really beautiful kind of summary of identity. Yeah. Questioning power. What sort of overarching themes stood out to you from that section? Well, I think this section definitely was, I don't want to say more focused on rising up against Zionist propaganda or not the shock value of rejecting Zionism, but it did feel that way a little bit to me. It was very heavy on the like recovering Zionist centered. This is what it means to show up and fight Zionism. Other than power dynamics as a whole, I think it was like more limited in scope. So maybe it's the opposite theme I guess, of the last one where it was so disparate and all over the place with collecting all the different meanings of identity. This one felt very focused on how to stand up to Zionist institutions. But I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm giving too narrow of an understanding of that. Did you feel there was a different kind of theme or thread? No, I think that that definitely makes sense. I did sort of, I, I just, I love that you're calling it like recovering Zionists. I, who's, someone's term, that's someone's term. Is it Mira Stearns? I think it's Mira Stearns. I don't know. Probably. I definitely think that in a section called questioning power, I maybe would think that there would, especially like we're talking about questioning power in the context of a genocide, maybe a little misleading title wise. It also is a very short section and all three <laughs> of these are super short. I did think that a lot of the pieces in it were some, some of the better pieces in the book as a whole. Like I really liked Sagiv Golai's piece, which is like the piece that the section starts on um mm -hmm. just because like in general i don't know i just found the stories from anti-zionist israelis or like people who grew up in israel who are anti-zionist i found those stories some of the more intriguing and helpful ones because i think mm -hmm. that that's a really specific lens to be coming from and to be so entrenched in that oppression yeah. and genocide and then like come to an anti-Zionist understanding is just something that I think has a lot that we can learn from. And I liked that they said, while, while Jewish people have a responsibility to show up for Palestine, Israelis have a responsibility that surpasses religious identity. Um, and I thought that as an Israeli from the settlement, I knew a bit more about Zionism and its manifestations than most members of the council. Because the gist of the story is that this person is was testifying in front of the New York City Council that was holding public hearing on a resolution that would condemn the BDS movement and proclaim all efforts to delegitimize the state of Israel as anti-Semitic. And that resolution passed. 
but yeah, this person includes their whole testimony in here. And I thought that there was a lot that was like really compelling from the testimony. Mm -hmm. This person who literally lived the, it was just such a testament to American politics and the ways that American politics prop up Israel. But this person who literally has lived experience as a settler telling this committee all of these things and making this really compelling argument and then the committee still being like uh okay well no because it sort of doesn't even matter what people say because yeah and I think that that is the part that I where questioning power comes into play politicians especially American politicians do have so much power and influence and their decisions are also calculated you know yeah I think that's a really good thing that you're bringing up about like the power dynamics between Israelis and American Jews when it comes to criticizing or critiquing even Zionism. It's an interesting thing that a lot of American Jews really defer to Israelis on Israel politics when it comes to right-wing stuff. But a lot of times right-wing Americans will have absolutely no tolerance or respect or understanding for left-wing Israelis who are critical of their government. And it's a great question about who gets a say in in Israeli politics unless it's something that we disagree with as American Jews. And I just think that's a, a really interesting tension that I hadn't really considered as part of this story that an American Jewish group of people that theoretically should not know as much about the Israeli system as the Israeli does, but we just reject that their knowledge of the system must be wrong because we know Israel better than them. It's, it's like a weird right. dynamic that just on its, in its face, we would accept it more yeah. if it was right wing propaganda, basically from Israel, but the leftist critique is not accepted. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. It just sort of feels anyone who says anything that is not in support of Israel, no matter how much more insight or lived experience they might have, is automatically disregarded for because the propaganda machine that props up Israel is so strong. I don't know if it's just people like hearing it and not actually hearing it or hearing it and being like, eh, whatever. It's really difficult to try to understand what the people who were listening to that testimony, how they made sense of that and how they still chose to be ignored. I think so much of that comes down to monetary and electoral decisions, which is why I'm just like, our political yeah. system sucks so much because people are making decisions based on if they're going to get reelected and if they're going to get funded and if they're going to be able to fund yeah. this. Yeah. That's it. Because if okay. a single person on this committee, and this is everyone on the Jewish committee of the New York City Council, voted against this, they're absolutely not getting reelected. You know, and those decisions aren't actually coming from desire for anti-oppressive framework and liberation. It's coming from short-term personal selfish gains, which is what our entire political system feels like. Yeah, absolutely. And the fear of loss of support for publicly stating that you disagree with Israel, because it's legitimate, as we've seen, there's real world consequences for saying it out loud. Yeah. Also in the next section by Rosalind... Mm-hmm. Chetsky. I just loved the combo of anti-Zionism and feminism. Yeah. And that connection. Mm-hmm. But two small things that stood out to me were just like on the first page she talks about how Israeli songs and dances 
are part of this cultural apparatus. For those of you listening, I'm quoting that. That was invented to promote modern Israeli nationalism and is in no way an authentic part of the age-old Jewish tradition. I read that and I was like, oh shit, that's a really, really good point. And something that I hadn't even considered before that like literally Israeli culture, I think so often is framed as Jewish culture when actually it's not that at all. And that's, of course, that is intentional. And that's why she says a cultural apparatus because it promotes Israeli nationalism and makes people feel like it's this authentic Jewish tradition when actually like it's not related to any authentic Jewish tradition. Well, I don't know if it's related to any authentic Jewish tradition, but it it is not in itself specifically an authentic Jewish tradition, which reminds me again of the whole language element where Hebrew is what is spoken in Israel and what has become associated with like Jewish language but Yiddish would have been, A, would have just been a more realistic language to use because that's what a lot of Jews were speaking pre-existence yeah. of Israel. And there are so many other languages for other Jews, Latino, that have just disappeared because the focus has been Hebrew, again, to promote this nationalism. Right, right. A shared language, an invented language. Yeah, I, in some ways, felt that parts of this first part because I, I know it's like a first part and then a postscript 60 years later, the three years after. So the first part could have been written like about BBYO today. It really yes. hits me. <laughs> there are people our age in these organizations undoing all the work that we're trying to do. There are people working very hard on Israel propaganda trips and posting about it online. And sometimes it just hits me and I'm like, not reading about this shit. We're living it. And these are the people we're going to be reading about in 60 years. This person promoted this thing. God, I I hope it's less than 60 years. (laughs) The comments about the racism against North African Jews, Mm -hmm. and as they say, Israeli Arabs, but I'll just say Arabs in general, is 100% things that still shock like little white kids who go across the the ocean and end up in Israel and they're like oh wait what this isn't everything we thought it was the safe haven for all Jews as we were told it was I think it's really the earnestness of running to tell everyone in town about it and everyone be like oh you don't understand you're silly (laughs) you child as very much what I felt like we went through in some ways of I mean I didn't go to Israel but you went and the things that you saw our experience and the way you felt and people being like, you must not have stayed long enough or you must not really get it. I mean, that invalidation. And I think another really great part, I, I really like the detail in the postscript about the places that mm-hmm. Muslim had gone and the destruction of these Palestinian neighborhoods for the purpose of archaeological digging mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. like a new level of bizarre for me i understood the jnf is literally planting trees over people's villages and homes but i had not thought that like they're in pursuit of justification of the existence of israel by destroying people's homes to be like no there's one cracked plate under here that look what's that. below though <laughs> yeah and just with frankness of being like and there is absolutely nothing to show for it for all this destruction right. exactly. nothing to prove it and like i get very um annoyed with this we have to prove that this is the ancestral home of the jews thing who cares you can find mm-hmm. jewish shit all over the world because we are a diasporic people right. if we found half of an ancient temple in greece would that change anything i yeah. hate that so I thought that was really great the way that Rosalind called it out. Yeah, what you just said is 
such a good point. Also, I just thought it was funny because she says in the first part of Rosalind's section, she talks about how, like, anti-Semitism is ancient and still exists. It demands our moral outrage, mm. as do anti-Black and anti-Brown racism, Islamophobia, and all the hatreds based on who a person is, how they fit in And I was like, we literally just said that yesterday on our Instagram. (laughs) And it's just noticing now that that was written 60 years ago. We just keep screaming the same things into the Mm -hmm. void. I mean, when does it? Let me not, though. I think that things are... Yeah, we have to go to our our, uh, repairing and healing section. Yes, (laughs) yes. But yeah, no, I really liked that section. The only other thing that I noted from questioning power in general was, well, I guess it's one of the last stories, but in Going Home by Nadia Kader, when they Mm. say Zionism, all isms, works best when people don't understand the ideological framework behind it. I just thought that was really great because genuinely, I think most mainstream American Jewry don't really know anything about the history of Zionism at all. It's this blind faith because it's associated with Israel, which for them, propaganda has led them to believe is this necessity for Jewish people. If I asked most of the people in my family who are like Zionist about the history of Zionism, I so heavily doubt they could be like, oh yeah, this, 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 or I know this about Zionism, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's its existence is yeah, as it said so well, is like dependent on people not understanding it. So it's it's not in its interest to educate people about it, which is why there is so much propaganda around it because they have to stick to one narrative, otherwise there's no investment in it in the future, which is why I think we're seeing the more the truth comes out, the more things are spread on social media, the more interconnected the American Jewish community is with anti-Zionist and Palestinian communities that have been talking about this forever. That's why it's breaking down. But anyway, yes, I agree. Repairing and healing. Repairing and healing. I I don't know if this section should have been called that at all. I think hope is a good thing. We love Mm -hmm. hope and we love the spirit of resistance and the spirit Mm. of endurance. And those have been great. You know, keeping the the machine moving forward of ending fascism and ending Zionism and all that. Those are all great things. I don't know if we need to repair Zionism. You know, I don't know if we need to repair our relationship to it or repair. I don't I don't think they meant repairing communities. It's not this we're all going to come together and live in peace thing and healing. I don't know if this was really about healing either. Like Mm -hmm. to me, it really drew upon the like the endurance of resistance and the fact that we will not turn away from this fight and the exception of one kind of strange poem I think in the middle that the the only way this gets better is by confronting what Palestinians have been telling us as Mm -hmm. Jews for almost a century now and that is the fight that was the overarching theme I think in this section and and yeah, existence is resistance for Palestinians. So I don't know. What do you think? Did any other big themes come through on this for you? No, yeah. I just, I definitely agree that, yeah, maybe it was just not enough intention around the naming of the sections yeah. because just for desire of sexually get off. But yeah, I definitely yeah. wasn't repairing and healing. 
But yeah. I did love one piece in here, which was yep. Diving Into the Wreck by Stephanie Fox. Is that the one? That yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't uh, know Adrian Rich was a JVP advisory board member. Same. I, had, yeah. I underlined that. I was like, what? Adrian Rich? That's crazy. I know. I was like, okay, dang. Incredible. It's actually so funny because right next to the desk that I'm at, there's this tiny excerpt of an Adrian Rich poem that I just noticed while we were talking, and I was like, it's so funny. I um, love that. Adrian Rich, are you with us? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that the framework of using mm-hmm. her poem and then like the repetition of I came to explore the wreck and the mm-hmm. continuation of that throughout the section and what the author talks about mm-hmm. yeah was just a both from a literary standpoint really well yeah. done and just mm-hmm. a really good reflection you have to like see the story which just happens in another story too you have to really see and really understand and then grapple with and when you mm-hmm. see you can't unsee she talks about clinging to a story of the wreck and failing to see the wreck itself yeah once you really see what is happening yeah you just you can't unsee and I feel like that is true of our journeys as well just totally once we actually confronted it yeah I was worried at first that the wreck was implying Palestine was a wreck because of what Zionism had done to it and I know that is one read of it too but then reading further being like oh no Zionism is the wreck we uh, the uh, metaphorical wreck right are the wreck you know like and I really appreciated that layer of yeah everything you said you know not turning away from it and committed to the liberation of everybody you know was absolutely and then that section ends on JVP's approach to Zionism which yeah or was that in the appendix I guess that okay I guess that was in the appendix oh yeah I thought that it was pretty decent all things considered I was like I'm not mad at this also it was written in 2019 so grown their stance since then um Mm -hmm. and like at the end they talk about just a section that I I appreciated like as long as Zionism has existed so has Jewish descent to it Mm -hmm. um and then they talk about especially as we face violent anti-semitism fueled by white nationalism nationalism in the United States today we choose solidarity and again crazy how that literally could have been written yesterday because we are again in this cycle of violent anti-semitism being ever present and fueled by white nationalism and people refusing to view it as white nationalism I think the statement I agree was pretty great. And I think the the criticism often comes with, and then so what? So what are you going to do about it? The way it was laid out and connecting to Jewish trauma and the way that Zionism has hurt Jews too. And it's very well laid out in terms of how Zionism is a failed experiment and not salvageable, in my opinion. But maybe that's just the way I'm reading it. But I, I agree. I think it was really well laid out. Yeah, I was sort of curious what I would think of it when I saw that that was at the end. And then I was like, Wow, resonates with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not that I think either of us have ever been JVP haters, but like we no, said, no, that we yeah, did yeah. start this with some very valid and 100%. yeah, very valid criticism of JVP from Palestinians. And so I was just curious to see where that came up. Yeah. I just have a question. Did you have any thoughts on the Jerusalem shadow poem? I felt it was a little, we are all the same. We are all victims in some way which maybe once again I am not 
super academic when it comes to literature and poetry. If I'm going to be so real with you, I read that yeah. poem and I skimmed it because it really just wasn't resonating yeah, at all. Same. And I'm not exactly okay, cool. sure what this is giving. And I could definitely do for a deeper dive, but... No, no, no need. I just, is this like groundbreaking or this feels kind of we are both people on either side of the wall you know and I was like ah, all right all right I don't know how I feel about that yeah we were strangers <laughs> in exile a people bounded memory I thirst for my people I was like is this written by a Palestinian person yeah or is it not I mean this is my Ashka normativity coming into play but Melanie K or it's slash yeah. Can- Cantrowitz is my my prejudice showing (laughs) (laughs) that's sort of what my read was anyway also where you were in the appendices the word did not come to me easily the timeline of zionism Mm -hmm. and then the history of resistance to zionism i think was really good just in terms of when zionists love to be like okay well in 1967 blah 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 and you're like wait what anyway but gave a lot of good counterpoints and and of course the glossary as well very much needed Yeah, I thought that that was really comprehensive and well broken down. And I loved that they included that history of resistance as well. And the glossary was also super helpful. Because I think sometimes it's easy to read things and be like, yeah, I've heard that somewhere and I know the general gist, but it's nice to be like, okay, this is what that is. Yep, agreed. Um, Overarching takeaways from the book? Yeah, you want to start? I see some really good ones here. I don't know if I have anything unique, but I mean, or I can start. It's okay. For me, the main things I'm wrestling with these stories being presented together and sometimes back to back, whereas I understand the point of that. And I do think it's important. But at the same time, I wish that the Palestinian stories could just stand on their own and exist in that way without mm-hmm. almost this need for cushion of the yeah. non-Palestinian perspective. Totally. Um, yeah, every time I read one of the Palestinians, I was like, what is there for me to critique? You're literally telling me about your life experience of oppression yeah. and resistance. I don't want to frame yeah. it just on oppression. And so... Um, yeah, that could have, those could have just stood on their own as this as a book. Yeah. Also, what I already said about the perspectives from Israeli anti-Zionists being really intriguing and helpful just to have that perspective. And yeah, what we already talked about, where it was just some of the stories from people who are still on their mm-hmm. Zionist recovery journeys yeah. didn't, fl- didn't completely hit the mark, which I think... Totally. It's fine because everyone is on their journey, but to be in a book where we're also having Palestinian people talk about their lived experience is, mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah. dicey for me. Yeah, I agree. I'm curious, as always, what gets left out or what stories were mm. not mm. accepted and that is who was on <laughs> the editing team, you know, all of that, because... I do think it comes through as very much a, we are all conflicted overarching message or we are all trying to grapple with this thing. Whereas some of the, the stories that are told by Palestinians was like, 
my life is destroyed. People are terrible. I want to see the destruction of the state of Israel, you know, and that is valid. And we need to make space for it inside this Jewish arm of the Palestinian movement, especially in America, where it is safer for those narratives to be put forth. We should, we should have space for them and, and still grapple with them and still wrestle with them. And what does it mean? And what are our feelings? But our feelings about it should be secondary to the fact that they should exist and take up space and, and be in our space. Yeah. So. I totally agree with you on that. And I also think in terms of the vulnerability that we have talked about so much in our workshops and, you know, how vulnerable it is to put a piece about something so divisive and polarizing in the world right now and put it out here in a book. And it's not like the internet where you can take it down whenever you want, but it's like forever now. This is people's voices. And so I, I agree. We want to respect that where people are in their journey and the fact that they are willing to put themselves yeah, out there so publicly, which is you know, comes with its own risks and challenges. So I think, yeah. yeah, overall, it's a great start. And I'm so curious to see what will come, if there will be another book, if there will be, you know, second parts or unpublished essay parts or, or just what will come after. Because yeah. with everything with where we are, it's not where we want to be, but we needed to start somewhere. And this is a great yeah. first piece, I think. Yeah. Also, I'd be super curious to hear more about the Palestinian feedback on the book. I tried to look for some if it existed and I didn't do the deepest dive, but I didn't find any any glaring Palestinian feedback. But yeah, just also would be curious to hear what and I, again, no group of people is a monolith, so I'm sure that there are some Palestinians who would be like, This was great and some who would be like, Fuck this. So Yeah. Yeah. We always want to hear that. Either side. Yeah. yeah the fuck this and this is great for sure yeah so that's the book yeah. people um i think what we've realized is book clubs are long <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we would love to hear your like feedback or thoughts on this like style and book club nature it's not feeling like you loved it <laughs> just gave yeah. people homework and they were like nope thanks anyway no literally <laughs> i wouldn't do something like this but maybe other people would like it <laughs> and yeah maybe you didn't so let us know and that way we'll never do it again <laughs> um like maybe what would be more helpful i also just put up a lot of excerpts from the book on our story after our session and like oh, yeah Maybe that's what you want to see. It's just the greatest hits. This will be out as a podcast in, I don't know, 24 hours. Sign up for the newsletter. Jesse makes a sick newsletter. If you go to our website, you can sign up to be on our listserv and get those newsletters with all of our updates and notes. As always, shout out to Nate, who's a married man, Mazel Tov, for our podcast and music. And drumroll we have sessions coming up in november so we have two november sessions one on the 16th at 8 p.m and one on november 30th at 8 p.m podcast version will be out probably the next day and the first is going to be on identifying and breaking down common anti-semitic tropes and processing anti-semitism in people we admire and the second is dealing with and responding to anti-Semitism. So you better come to those because we need all the help we can get. 
<laughs> yeah. So if you're a Jewish person or a non-Jewish person who has really been involved in the current conversation around he who shall not be named, being anti-Semitic, and that whole situation, you should come to these because I, I think they'll be interesting. Yeah. There will be much to talk about. Thanks, right. everyone.